0: Good morning, everyone. Like Eric, said, I'm Adrian. Uh, I'm so glad to be here to share with you again. Uh, I, I love that we've been learning from the parables this summer, and at the beginning, I don't know, sometime in the spring, when Eric asked me to do this again, um, I tried to think. Okay, I know it's a parable. You know, which parable am I going to choose to study? Uh, and as I read through them. Uh, you know, I was really just asking God, like, what, you know, what do you have to speak to me, and what do you have to teach with me? But it was hard to decide. So I was actually, I love research, and so I I was, like, trying to look at books of the parables. I ordered this book called Short Stories by Jesus. Uh, This is by Amy Jill Levine, and I'll end up using, or sharing some quotes from it. But as I was reading through uh, what she was talking about with some of the parables, Parables. I really noticed uh, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. And so, as I then you know continued to study from the Bible on my own, uh, I really felt like it spoke to me. So I hope you know that we can learn and and that it's helpful to all of you as well. So today, as we continue to learn from the stories of Jesus, I would love to pray and ask Him to to speak to us this morning. So. God, just thank you so much for today. I just thank you uh, for this series and, and over the past month or so, uh, just uh, the wisdom that we have, have taken from these stories that you shared with us so long ago, God. But I just pray that um, you would continue to speak to us today, that in these very short parables, that we can, we can learn a lot. And so I just pray that you would speak through me this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Eric might have mentioned before, I think, you know, in a message that I love British TV, so I'm a sucker, especially for all of the detective shows, uh, something where I have to figure something out, and I love to try to figure it out, you know, before it's revealed to us. So, in my life, for example, before you know, British TV was something available to us, I, you know, watched every episode of Murder She Wrote. Diagnosis Murder, Hallmark Movie Mysteries, read Agatha Christie novels and other detective stories. And I was thinking back that I've loved detective stories uh, ever since I first read The Face on the Milk Carton, yeah. which is maybe only a reference that you know other elder millennials might catch on to. But um, <laughs> I'm also a listener of many, many true crime podcasts. So I just love the challenge of solving something. And to me, that is almost like finding treasure. So now Eric doesn't share all of these interests with me, but we do love our British TV shows. So most evenings we have time to watch you know, one of our, whatever the, the latest British crime show that we're watching. Um, and a few years ago though, a friend when we were living in Illinois, Illinois recommended a different genre of British TV, more of a dramedy. So I don't know if any of you know or have ever heard of this show. It's called The Detectives. I highly recommend it if you have not. Um, And so you might recognize one of the actors as uh, the guy. Well, he's on either side. The one in the middle, kind of, Gareth, who was on the British office. That's like Jim on the American office. He was also in Pirates of the Caribbean. But anyway what is this show about and what does this have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, this series is basically set in a fictional town, small town north of Essex, and the plot revolves around the lives, loves, and metal detecting ambitions of Andy and Lance, members of the Danbury Metal Detecting Club. Now, I did learn from this show that people who do metal detecting are called detectorists. So now you know, do not offend someone who, metal, who does metal detecting. They are not a metal detector, they are detectorists. So anyway, most episodes of the show basically show the main characters and then other people that are like part of their club spending hours or even days searching fields for treasure. And most of the time, they come up with nothing you know, but old coins, or, or little artifacts, or really nothing at all. Now, thinking about this show and the parable that we're discussing today relating to you know, finding treasure made me think, what have people found uh, you know, who are metal detectorists? So I googled, and there are some pretty amazing discoveries. Now, the one that caught my attention uh, in the list happened in 1989. And the story goes like this. A local prospector from Sonora, Mexico, you know, just you know, some miles south of the Arizona border, he went to a radio shack. He just like rented, or he bought a metal detector. Now, from what the story said, the metal detectors in the late 80s are not as, techniclo- you know, as highly tech- technological as they are today. But basically, for like some days, he just was like swinging the metal detector, And he really just found like nails, some like old bullets and other junk. But then one morning, he got a large signal from his detector, and to his surprise, he unearthed this amazing gold nugget. So there's the guy in the picture as well. This is now has, has a name. It is called the Boot of Cortez. This is the largest gold nugget still in existence. And I checked it still to today, 2023 largest gold nugget ever found in the Western hemisphere. Now it actually outweighs the the next largest gold nugget that was found in Alaska by a hundred ounces. So if you think of like how much an ounce of gold is worth, but yeah, it's crazy. Its name is very appropriate as it kind of looks like a boot of a Spanish conquistador. Now, what the story said, he actually sold this gold nugget to his boss back in 1989 for $30,000. Now, since then, this uh, boot has been in, on display in many museums, and in January of 2008, it was sold for auction for $1.5 million, which is pretty crazy, right? So this treasure would have like blown the minds of all the people who came to California right, for the gold rush. Now stories like this and others are, you know, captivating. So I think all of us are a little bit intrigued at least by the concept of finding treasure. So I think of, you know, reality shows like gold rush, uh, storage wars, you know, like what's going to be in this storage locker that I, that I bid on. We have uh, Indiana Jones, the pirates of the Caribbean, national treasure, all of these, you know, fictionalized stories. So in the parables that we're gonna talk about today, Jesus tells us stu- two stories involving treasure. Now, these parables are short. So when I first kind of looked at them, I'm like, how am I gonna talk about this, you know, for like a half an hour? There are, they are only two sentences each. But as I, as I studied more, we can actually learn a lot more when we, when we look closely. So I wanna read both of the parables to you, and these are found if you wanna open up a Bible or your app these are found in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 44. So we're just going to kind of read the whole section first before we, before we break it down. Now, these are the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. So verse 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So that's our, that's our, whole, that's our whole passage for today. But we're going to look at them more closely. Now, if we go back to verse 44, we have uh, the treasure, right? So we're going to look at what, what is Jesus trying to tell us here? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. So a person finds treasure in a field, he hides it again, like probably reburies it, then he sells everything he has, and he goes back to buy that field with the treasure in it, right? Right? Now, this was more realistic back in ancient times, you know, when Jesus is telling this story. So before banks, you know, if you had valuables like jewels or coins or really just, just anything of value to you, you might actually put it in a jar or a box and bury it. Now, this was especially true when you had things like the Romans invading and different things like that. So you're you're protecting your treasure to make it you know, not in your house for pe- for people to steal. So this is probably why also the metal detectorists can, you know, be searching for some of those things today. Um, now we know from this parable that the guy who is the finder, right, uh, he legally bought the field with the treasure buried in it, right? So we're, we're to assume that the owner was unaware of the treasure that was buried in it, right? So we can think that um, the person who actually bought it was probably just like a laborer in that field, right? They were probably doing farming or something like that. Now, this person was not someone who had a lot of money to begin with. So when he inquired about the purchase of the field and the selling price, he also would have known that this person did not know about the treasure that was hidden there. Now, in um, his commentary uh, of Matthew, R.T. France states this, and I, I really like this quote, the man's action is dictated by pure self-interest um, as is that of the person who opts for the kingdom of heaven. The sacrifice of all that is sold is no hardship. It is done out of delight, not out of a sense of obligation. Once the kingdom of heaven is truly understood, nothing else can compare with its value. I really that, that was one that really stuck out to me from his commentary. So this treasure must have been amazing, right? Now we can then get caught up in the details of like, how much was this exactly worth? What did he have to sell you know, to afford to buy it? But then we need to remember this is a parable, right? So this isn't, we don't need to know those exact details. Uh, if we look back to you know, kind of the definition I think that Eric shared right in the beginning and then others have, have shared as well, remember that a parable is a simple story Used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson, right? So we don't need to know the exact you know, numbers and things like that. Basically, what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of heaven is like a crazy valuable treasure worth selling everything for, right? And if, if we continue to look on to the pearl, we're basically looking at the same theme, right? Something of great value. So if we look at verse 44, or sorry, at forty-five, it says this again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had bought, or he had and bought it. So when I first started preparing this message, I know um, in in this book that I was reading by Amy Jill Levin, she kind of you know was talking about pearls and the significance of pearls, you know, in the antique or in the ancient world. And so I was doing some Googling just about pearls in general. So I learned that today, only one in 10,000 wild oysters will yield a pearl. And of those, only a small percentage achieve the size, shape, and color desirable to the jewelry industry. Now, then I was like, okay, what? We're talking about a great pearl, pearl of great price in this parable. So what is like the greatest pearl? Or what's the biggest pearl that's been found? So just about 10 years ago, a Filipino fisherman made an amazing discovery. So this was uh, off the sea um, in Palawan Island in the Philippines. He found a two-foot-long pearl inside a giant clam, which that is like crazy. I can't even imagine seeing that. But news stories say that the giant pearl was stuck to his anchor and he had no idea how, how valuable what, that he found, right? He actually took it home, he hid it under his bed, keeping it as a good luck charm. Now, this is kind of a sad part of the story, but recently, his tiny home burned down. Now, news stories, people say they, there's not actual knowledge of, of exactly who this man was, but the officials in the Philippines say that this pearl has been verified at 26 inches in length, and 12 inches in width and 75 pounds, it is valued at 100 million dollars. So this is like way more than the than the uh, gold that we talked about. So pearls are the only gems in the world to be born and grow inside a living organism, which is kind of is pretty interesting to think about. Um, most are found inside oysters, making this clam found pearl even rarer, right? Um, So think about this is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the pearl, something super rare, something extremely valuable, right? Now in our parable today, we know our merchant was looking for fine pearls, not just any pearl. And when he found the best pearl, he sold everything and bought it. Now showing this picture today, if you'll notice, these are my $7.99 for three pairs of earrings from Target, not pearl of great price. Just wanted to, you know, here's an example. To to us today, normal size pearls are very common, right? As a common accessory, we can get fake pearls anywhere. Even real ones, I'm guessing, are not, not as expensive. But before the creation of cultured pearls in the 1900s, natural pearls were so rare and expensive, they were really just for royalty, right? Nobility. So the illustration would have hit differently to the people that Jesus was talking to in the ancient world. Like they knew how valuable a pearl was. So uh, in his commentary, again, R.T. France, he says this about the pearl. Unlike the man in the previous parable who could presumably live off his treasure once he had secured it, think he owns land then. This dealer though initially a man of some substance, is apparently impoverishing himself to acquire something supremely beautiful and valuable, which he could admire and display, but could not live off of until he, unless he sold it again. So he goes on to say this uh, in his commentary. He says, it would be too literal to take this as unpractical fanaticism, right? Just kind of craziness. But it does point to the same thing as the treasure, right? It's an issue of priorities. Now, would others have looked at this merchant like he was crazy? Probably. In her book, Short Stories by Jesus, uh, that I mentioned already, Amy Jill Levin writes this. Let me go. Whoops, sorry. Let me go back. We can leave this up. Reading the merchant is involved in what might be called venture capital or market speculation. Theology professor Feem Perkins states: most of us cannot imagine taking such risks, right? So he is, is risking everything for this one investment, this one pearl. Selling everything we have just for one investment, right? Have you ever done something risky for your faith? Right? Have you ever done something that involved taking a risk? Now, some people are more natural risk takers in life. This is, you know, an example. I have never been. So things like riding roller coasters, skydiving, I think this craziness of tightrope walking, I guess, but what is the reward at the end of these risks? I think not much, right? Maybe you have a cool Instagram picture or possibly death. So I don't know, (laughs) Not not a great risk. Now, no offense to the thrill seekers amongst us today, but when it comes to Jesus and his kingdom, right? Taking risks for him, the reward is immeasurable right it's more valuable than anything so and when we look at the second parable more valuable than other good things right jesus didn't say the merchant bought a pearl and passed up like gross rocks he saw fine pearls and he chose the finest have you ever chosen jesus and his kingdom over other good things if you look at the way that you spend your time your relationships your money are you choosing the finest pearl? You know, what does this look like for us in 2023, right? Maybe Jesus is asking you to leave your comfort zone. Like what about committing to being here on Wednesday evenings to disciple middle school or high school students? That might seem pretty risky to you. It might seem like, you know, skydiving to somebody else. Maybe just walking in your neighborhood and instead of passing by, you, you know, talk to your neighbor and introduce yourself for the first time. I know as an introvert, that can seem risky to me, right? What if you've never given money to the church before? Maybe think about this scholarship that Eric mentioned earlier, letting you know, somebody go to camp. That's risky. I know as our kids get older and more expensive, the idea of tithing, it, it becomes riskier and riskier over time. Now we know that Jesus actually said to his disciples a few chapters later, after, after this parable that we're reading today, um, chapter 16 in the book of Matthew, whoop, here let me go back here, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now one pastor on a podcast I listened to said, if that doesn't scare you, you probably aren't looking at it the right way. So these parables, though, they're not focused on sacrifice. They're more focused, actually, on the value that was gained by both the man in the fields and the merchant. So then this quote, I, I just, this caught me. It says, quite simply, true disciples are those who recognize that God's kingdom is so valuable that it's worth sacrificing whatever it takes to be its citizens. Now, this actually, uh, Amy Jill Levin had this, you know, this quote in her book, and then she kind of comments it by saying that in the passage, when it talks about the merchant that's selling all his goods, it said that he sold his stuff. It didn't say that he suffered loss, right? So it talks about, whoops, I don't know if I, oh, I can go back. The price paid is not a sacrifice, but an exchange of something lesser for something greater. So just let that think in, an exchange of something lesser for something greater. Now, these parables were so short, right? So I want us to actually read through them one more time, but in a different translation. Um, In his translation of the New Testament called the Second Testament, Scott McKnight, um, which I'll show you what this looks like if you're interested. So this is one of the newest translations of, of the New Testament. So what he attempts to do is actually minimize the changes from Greek to English. And uh, as I read the introduction, he mentioned that sometimes it will actually make it feel strange as we read it, right? Our our other Bible translations have been made very easy for us as as English readers to read. But sometimes when we feel awkward, like when it's awkward in the way that it's written, it might actually help us to experience the Bible in a fresh way. So today I want to read our parables again from this new translation. So I would even ask you if you even want to close your eyes and just listen to these parables again because they are so short and just see what, what is God trying to speak to you in these. All right, so this is, this is from the Second Testament. Uh, Jesus gives more analogies. That's the heading in this one. All right, verse 44. The heaven's empire is comparable to a treasure chest hidden in the field which a human finding, hid and out of his joy, goes away and sold whatever he has and purchases that field. Again, the heaven's empire is comparable to a human conducting business pursuing beautiful pearls. Finding one priceless pearl, going away, he has sold everything he had and purchased it. Now, I love the way that I think Ty a couple of weeks ago and others have been using the question from the Discovery Bible study, um, if this is true, what do I need to change, right? Or essentially, we've got four sentences from Jesus, what now? Now, we just read about a person who finds the kingdom of heaven and sells everything they have out of joy because what they have found is of so much more value, So we can look at somebody selling everything right as a huge sacrifice. But what if the treasure that they found is of immeasurably more value? When was the last time you felt that way about Jesus? And I know know that hit me when I asked that to myself. When was the last time you felt that about Jesus? Now many of us know the story of the rich young ruler. And this is also in the book of Matthew. And he, the rich, young ruler asked Jesus what he has to do to have eternal life, right? And Jesus' first answers, listing off the Ten Commandments. And the guy's like, oh, I'm pretty good. You know, I've followed all those. So he's feeling pretty good. And then he says this, and this is from the message. Therefore, I think I'm back here. I skipped. Here we go. Oh, I don't think I have the slide for it. Sorry, guys, I'll just read it. It says, Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. He said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will be then heavenly wealth, and come follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear, and he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and not about to let go. Now, Jesus might be asking you a different question today, but what is that thing that you're holding on to that you can't let go? Maybe for you it's not money, like it was for the rich young ruler, right? But like we talked about with the pearl of great price, maybe it is a pearl, right? Maybe it's something good, but Jesus is asking you, like I had up before, are you willing, right? Are you willing? If we look at verse uh, 21 from, that, from the passage about the rich young ruler, it says, Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. I love that. Just think that's, that's how Jesus looks at us. He's not asking you to give up that thing for you to suffer. He loves you, and he knows the joy found in the kingdom of heaven, Right? Now, one kind of last thought I had as I was trying to determine, you know, what did Jesus mean in each of the parables that we talked about today? We have the man and the treasure and the field and the merchant and the pearl. And, like, if you're looking at it from, you know, like a literature perspective or something like that, you want to know, like, what is Jesus? The merchant? Is he the treasure? The pearl? Are we the pearl? Are we the merchant? But as I kept reading them, you know, Bible scholars kind of disagree. You know, there's, there's not one exact right answer to which thing is which, right? But as I read over these passages and asked God what he wanted me to speak today, he brought me back to the treasure hunting, right? The detectorists that we mentioned. They know of this thing of great value, right? Sometimes it's hidden. And they are willing to search day after day after day to find it? What if the kingdom of heaven is not something that we find once, right? Like the guy with the $100 million pearl under his bed. What if we're supposed to have the excitement and drive of the detectorists, knowing that we found treasure and there's more to find? Like I know for me, like there's moments where I can so clearly see the kingdom of heaven breaking through. You know, it could be as simple as seeing kindness between people or baptisms, the past times that that's happened, right? Or it could be when we go through our blessed rhythms of prayer walking, listening and eating with people. Conversations happen that are only explained by the kingdom breaking through. So what if God wants us to have a glimpse of the treasure and continue to search for more and more of it day after day? Now, Jesus spoke earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, before our parable, in, in chapter 6, um, about, about anxiety, right? So I don't know if any of you have struggled with anxiety or control issues in your life, but I can raise my hand and say, yes, that, that would be me. But God illuminated this verse for me, and I felt like it, it connected to something today. Um, you know, a, a couple, some years back, more than a couple years back, we were kind of, our family was in a, in a time of transition. Uh, transition. And I felt very out of control and like I, there was nothing I could do to change my circumstance, to, to do anything. Um, and I remember I, w- I was reading a book at the time and I can't even remember exactly what it was, but it was talking about this verse. And then I just, I remember God like just speaking to me. And he said that there is something that we can do when we feel out of control, right? And so if we look at Matthew 6, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, right? So Jesus uses kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven pretty interchangeably. So what, what we talked about in our parables today was, was seeking, trying to find the kingdom of God, right? So he is urging us that when we are anxious, when we don't know what else to do, we can seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? We can seek first. That used to, I had that written on things. I had that like on my phone back screen. Like what do I do when I don't know what to do? I seek first. Now, what does that mean exactly for us, like detail-wise? Well, we have a good place to start, right? We have our Discipleship Pathway series that we did at the beginning of the year. And if you have never gone through it, I would definitely suggest to do that the next time. And if you're interested, you can watch the past sermon series. But here's what we talk about um, in the Discipleship Pathway. These are the blessed rhythms, right? So as we sing, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, story. So this week, when you wonder... How do I seek after the kingdom, right? And maybe you're feeling out of control right now in your current circumstances. But Jesus is telling us and you that you can do something. We can pray, right? We can, all these things involve, you know, seeking after the kingdom. Maybe you have been prayer walking all year and then you kind of, you know, fell off the wagon that way and you haven't done it in a while. Or maybe you never started, uh, maybe you need to know what prayer walking is. You can look back and, and see one of the sermon series about that. Um, maybe you, when a friend is sharing something that's difficult in their life, maybe you need to ask, can I pray for you right now? That That's risky, like we talked about before. Now, you can also, you know, you can listen to someone, ask good questions, and don't just wait until it's your turn to talk. That's that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of heaven, Right? Uh, You can just see the ways that you and someone at your job or at your school or in your neighborhood, that you actually have things in common despite your differences, right? And you can look for those things. Maybe you can take a risk and invite someone over for dinner or out for coffee or boba or or just over to your house to hang out, right? Maybe you could sign up to serve at the backpack drive next week. That's, That's a super easy one, right? Or or help to deliver furniture with compassion, or help with the bike uh, tomorrow, you could talk to Ruth after service, right? Or maybe it's time for you to go deeper in a friendship. Maybe, maybe you, you know, have been doing these things for a while, and when an opportunity comes up that you can share what God is doing in your life, it's time to do that. But maybe you're actually in a situation where you need help, and the riskiest thing that you can do is actually ask for that. So even today, right, you're going to be amongst the family of God. Take a leap of faith and believe that the family of God is here to be a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven for you, right? So as we tr- transition to a time of baptism, we're going to be able to see these young people taking a risk, right? It's, it's scary sometimes to get up in front of people. They're declaring their actions with their actions that they've committed to following Jesus and seeking first the kingdom of heaven. So today, we're going to celebrate with them, right? So as uh, the band in a minute is going to come back up, and uh, Toby and Pua are going to come up. Now, first, we're going to actually have ben, Benji and Jessica Craig are going to read their stories, right? And so we can we see a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven reading these stories. We see that God is working. And if, if we asked every person in this room, we would see that glimpse, right? Um, so we want to search Continue to search for more of that treasure. So I'm going to pray as we close, and we're going to have Benji and Jessica come up. But pray with me. God, I just thank you so much uh, for the parables, for the way that you have spoken to us uh, through Jesus. Thank you that Jesus walked among us, that he hung out with us, that he told stories. We love stories, God. And so I just pray... um, as we're talking about searching for the kingdom of heaven, God, that we, would, that we would see you and your kingdom as the most valuable treasure that we can find, God. That we would um, see it as a pearl amongst or above all pearls, God. That it's, it's better than every good thing that we have. So I just pray as we go into a time of baptism, I pray for Pua and for Toby just that this would be um, a... Um, Just a continuation of the faith that I know that they have, God, and that that this would be a marker and just a public declaration that they're seeking after you. And so I just thank you so much for today and for the way that you teach us and speak to us. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.